KJP. No, it's KJV. <laughs> KJV. White House Secretary KJP. Oh. Kareem Jean-Pierre. Oh, no, that's not the KJP. I think, I think we should just call her Karen. Uh-oh. Kareem. Karen. Uh-oh. What? No. Never mind. Welcome to Cross Politics. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox. Her name is Kareem. Um, the water boy. Jean-Pierre. Good to be with you guys this evening. Hey. Four and a half weeks till it's lies. Six. It's six weeks. Propaganda. I, no. Are you sure? Storytelling. No. Well, maybe people think it's, it's four and a half weeks. They, they I hope it's. I got so it's much. It's only two weeks away. I got so many details. <laughs> only five days away. Hurry up! You give me a blood clot. <laughs> you had a vaccine shot. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. Octo- whenever October sixth or the eighth yeah. is, whenever, however far away that is. That's when we're going to be in Knoxville, Tennessee, yeah. talking about lies, propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge. Wing. George Gilder's coming, Jared Longshore, Pastor Doug Wilson, Dr. Ben Merkel. I'm going to be speaking. Knox is going to be doing a roundtable mm. with Mr. and Mrs. Merkel, Mr. Yes, and Mrs. Right. Wilson, yes, talking right. about the power of stories yep. in your families. Uh, we got a bunch of awesome vendors coming. Yeah. I just uh, talked to the events in our day. Yep. We got the wine and we the got, beer and the appetizers and, and the kids' a, juice boxes. A jumpy stuff. castle. Yeah, a jumpy castle. With a paid EMT. Uh, well, unless we have volunteer <laughs> EMT there. That has, that's literally licensed. You want to come to the conference for free? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> volunteer EMT. We also, got you. don't forget, if you want that club membership discount, you just got to sign up for a club membership. Go to fightlaughfeast.com. Get that discount, $100 off. We can't wait to fellowship with you. Sing psalms, celebrate God's goodness in Knoxville, Tennessee, October 6th through the 8th. And, and we have scholarships available. Okay. So if you if you can't afford it, we, we'd love to do the, the best we can to help people. That, the Saturday thing yet? Well, I was yeah. going to say, didn't you pick up an extra talk yet? Didn't we go talk about that? Yeah. I wrote a bunch of it today. Did you oh, really? Did you? Yeah. Tell everybody what the time He was on fire from last night because was, he, he listened. Like, you listened to Jeff Schaefer and you're like, I got on fire. I, I was the on spirit fire. Was with you. Oh yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, I'm gonna do another talk. The the real world. Yep. Narnia versus Game of Thrones. That is gonna be. <laughs> show up just for that alone. I, I'm. Uh, I'm just actually, for that I'm, alone. I love that. I'm really excited. So I love that. Anyways, thank you, Toby. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that. Yeah. So, uh, KJP. Can we just call her KJP? Are we, are we KJP? 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 Can we call her? Can we call her Karen? You know. No. Well, no, that's not her name. She uh, apparently in 2016, she thought Trump stole the election. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 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 She tweeted it out. Stolen email. Stolen drone. It, was, it wasn't Stone misinformation then. Welcome no, no, to the world no, it, unprecedented it Trump. Yeah, and then she had another tweet that was similar to this in, uh, in 2016. But well, this last week. Um, she was also at the White House. This is of, a threat to democracy, you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a threat to the whole system Roll of the government. Clip. Roll the clip. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular mm. uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to oh. our freedom, uh, to our rights. So um, uh, Eric Schmidt. He filed a uh, along with uh, Missouri and Louisiana. Who's Eric Schmidt? Eric Schmidt. He, I think, he's the former attorney uh, general, in, or he's running for Senate now. Okay. But he's involved in with the attorney general in Missouri. Missouri. And uh, he filed a lawsuit okay. against um, uh, uh, the White House of various agencies, Facebook and Twitter, for all this apparent collusion that was going on during the pandemic. Ah. Eric Schmidt. 
And and then um, go ahead and bring up his first tweet. He just tweeted this out. This actually just just happened today. This is late breaking news on Cross Baltic. Um, they filed this lawsuit um, for for including for the White House administration, including with social media. Right. Okay. And this happened. This started back in uh, July 2022. So you know, a couple months ago, this lawsuit. Well, anyways, all the emails are starting to come out that they were able to pull from the White House in discovery. And what is crazy about this, the Department of Justice is refusing to produce a lot of the communication between um, most of the senior officials and all this. Okay. So, but um, they still produce some. There's some of the emails are floating out. There are some of them redacted. You read through some yeah, of them, Knox, and everything. Kind of uh, like all that, uh, all that top secret information that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The redacted. I don't know what all Gabe has there, but go ahead. But but here's um, so the White House isn't. Fully cooperating. The DOJ is not fully cooperating. Surprise, surprise. Right. Uh, but, you know, the private companies have to cooperate a little more than DOJ and, right. and some of these things. They found out um, so far the DOJ, the DOJ identified 45 federal officials who have interacted with social media companies. So we're talking regarding, about like, particularly regarding the topic of misinformation. Right. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook all that stuff. Okay. Uh, now beyond that, so they, the DOJ, 45, 45. Okay. That specifically communicated around misinformation. Don't you have that slide or something? It should be up there. I'm talking about it. Haley needs to be with it. Let's go, okay. girl. There we Let's go. Let's go, girl. And the then, Department of um, Justice is refusing to produce communications. Okay, yeah. Yeah, right. 45. And yeah. then the the DOJ, um, uh, uh, excuse me, not the DOJ, uh, Meta, that's Facebook, yeah. they identified additional 32 federal officials. Plus the 45? Plus the 45. That's 77. <laughs> uh, uh, YouTube identified additional 11 on okay. top of this, and that's on top of what the DOJ. 88. So the DOJ did not disclose Half right. of what they've been able to get in discovery. Now, these are officials that are in communication with social media platforms to make sure they are commu- allowing or not allowing mm-hmm. certain flow of information right. to take place. Mm-hmm. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Making sure that uh, um, KJP, her tweets can stay up. <laughs> right. Yeah. But right. if you question exactly. maybe the legitimacy of yeah. Biden's election... And, yeah. and we all went dangerous, through. dangerous. You remember during the pandemic, we started doing a, a daily show during the pandemic um, a week after the pandemic started, basically, in, like in, in April, right? a week or two. And we started doing a show every day. But pretty quickly, guys like Renee Dancourt, Dancourt, yeah. uh, um, Danae, Danae Rancourt. I'm sorry. I got it backwards. <laughs> Renee, Danae Rancourt. Wow. Rancourt. We are sorry. About that. Um, there's a number of people, especially doctors, yeah. um, yes. were getting nipped in the bud quick, yep. so shut down quick. I don't think people remember, because we're living in a new world, we forget really quickly. When the pandemic first happened, mm-hmm. there were all sorts of different doctors on there. Was a, I remember a Dutch doctor I was listening to who was like, listen, this is like a cold. There's some people who will need help who are older. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you're going to have to right. get them in certain yeah. environments to protect them. But for yep. the most part, it's going to have to run its course, and we'll be at uh, what do they call that? Um, uh, where everybody's had it, so uh, herd immunity. Herd immunity. Yeah, yeah and right. so there was there was and so all this information was gathered, and you could find yep. it. It was I remember finding Danae Rancourt on, yep. on a show and a few other shows, right. and then after that time period, like six weeks, everything began to get shut down, right. yep. and you couldn't find information. Flow information was right. wide and broad. And we I'm not had to say, contact uh, Danae directly. That's <clears throat> how we got his memory. He sent us his graphs and everything. Yeah, but we I couldn't remember post them online, and there wasn't. And I'm not going to act like that. Everything was perfect information. There no. were things yeah, that you yeah. had to sort through, but. It, the the truth is is that that's no different than any form of information that's out there right now on any subject. Yep. Weight loss. Yep. There's 
stuff out there that's just not true. No. <laughs> what? What? You're you kidding me. You powder? And it's like, and it's like, you no, snort this powder yeah, and you don't lose weight? I'll tell you, that one didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, there's so, but all of a sudden on COVID, there was this lockdown of information yeah. that we had never seen on any other topic before. Right. Right. And Well, I, and come to find out, the White House was driving it. Okay. Right. The White House so, is driving this lockdown. So wait, so but do we have receipts of that? Yes. We have, so let, let me bring up. I'm not eighty-eight people talking to them. Yes. Are they right. just saying hi? How's your day bring going? Up, bring up the Instagram one. Uh, there's a there's a number of them. You can go look through a lot of the receipts. But there's uh, this this White House official emails keep going emails Instagram and says one more I think uh, emails Instagram and says hey there's this fake uh, this Fauci parody account. Um, I is that the right one? No, nope. these one other more. ones are That's interesting. They're interesting too. They're all they're all White House officials. Here it is. There's this. Is there this any one. way we can get this pulled down? It's not actually one of ours. And the Instagram <laughs> and the and Instagram responded and said, "Yeah, you got it on it, on it." So White House emails Instagram says, "Hey, pull down this account." This is literally. I don't think we need to understand how serious this is. This is the White House telling Instagram uh, to. to uh, uh, taking away free speech okay, from so, Instagram accounts. So then, what's what's this wrong? This is collusion. But what's wrong with the White House saying, "Hey, this people are thinking that this is a false, this is a real account. It's a false account, and people are believing this account like it's really Dr. Fauci." So not the White House's job. So even if it was a bad account that had, yeah. even if it's false information, it's uh, not so, the White House's job. Saying, "Yeah, you snort Clorox and you can't get COVID." Yeah, and they're like, "This is killing people. You guys need to take this person you down." Can't do it. And so the, the federal government has no right to say, hey, this is a social media account that we find to be false and spreading no. misinformation. You yeah. guys can't. I mean, I think, I think what you would have to do is you would have to you would have to walk through a process to prove that this is like doing direct harm to people. Yeah. Um, which is which is different than just misinformation. Like you said, there's misinformation. But that involves testimony. That but, involves witnesses. Yeah, that you, involves but you have to walk through a process, a judicial process so that it's really clear that the, that, that, the, that the federal government is not colluding with private companies to take away our first amendment rights. Mm. But th- that's, that's so, so but, an e- it, but a private email is not walking through a careful no, process. So, that, so would you say that what's lost here is due process? Yeah. So first amendment right is lost. Federal yeah. government is right. and the fourth amendment due process. Right. right. And, and yeah. so you got yeah. due process. You got two places where they are not upholding the constitution right. properly, right. which is what they're sworn to do. And that's what they they're swore violating to do. it. Yeah. So this is an issue right. of broken oaths. And this is yeah. just like something silly. Right. Imagine for something that's really threatening the government and their COVID narrative and who they went after. Right. Well, and, and again, back to your point, KJP saying yeah. that the White House considers MAGA Republicans a threat to a democracy. Threat to democracy. Yeah. What is democracy then? Right. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah they have <laughs> different. This is not a threat to yeah. democracy. Uh, yeah. Right. That's what, I'm, that's, what yep. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, so that, that's the thing is that, like, so what the setup here is that. If they can shut down accounts mm-hmm. for misinformation because, you know, Danae Rancor thinks this is a cold or some, yeah. you know, whatever. Right. Doctors think mm-hmm. this is not as bad as, as the, uh, uh, the Imperial College specu- study yep. speculate, right. tell you. If they can do that with COVID, yep. right. which is actually, if you think about it, like something that, you know, comes and then goes, the threat to democracy. Yeah. It's something that they can keep, they can call that anytime. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and they can say, you know, this who is gets a- to define what a threat to democracy exactly. is? Exactly. And, 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 you, and you remember that we had a private video deleted off our Vimeo account with Naomi Wolf. Right. Because right. It, we were talking about Biden's connection to China. Right. And Vimeo deleted that private video. If you guys didn't know I about this, I wonder if a White House official emailed Vimeo 
yeah, and ask them this. to take it down. Delete yeah, this. why would Vimeo care? Yeah, yeah. right. That's a good question. Like, yeah. why would Vimeo's like, well, we just like people to post videos yeah, and stuff right. like that. Because, because I think this, this our country is becoming a thugocracy. That's right. So what do you do then? This, it's more like, you know, it's more like the mob. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's. Well, there's no rule of law. We aren't really, yeah. the, the it, government's like, not paying attention to the constitution. I'll scratch, I'll scratch your back, yeah. you scratch mine. Yeah. And, and so big companies, Vimeo, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, they know that there's cash outs in legislation yep. and, and, and all that, all that money yep. that we keep passing all, mm-hmm. you know, the, the inflation, uh, awesome. maxim, maximizing, uh, act. Yeah. Right. Well, and they just, and they just passed the chips act, which is an Intel, yeah. um, many manufacturing semiconductor act. Bazillions and bazillions yep. of dollars yep. that our Congress representatives keep passing because people, which because gives them more money, big business to scratch their backs, bribe Vimeo, yep. Facebook, Twitter. And so everybody wants to be on their good terms yeah. and not be a, not, you don't want to uh, stand up against them and say, no, we're, we're, we're a free speech. So these platform. government officials should have been fired. Yeah, no, that's right. But also, yeah, I agree. They should have been fired and I would even go maybe publicly flogged. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine saying that. Uh, but, but we didn't talk about that offline. Uh, yeah, but here's the deal: is that that's a lot less work. That's every less time we talk it. about theonomic penalties, yeah. Knox is yeah. like, "But where's the flogging? Where's the flogging? Where's the, where's the flogging? The, <laughs> we don't talk about flogging that much. We've like, forgotten about that. And I'm like, that might be an actual option. You don't but beat your wife, if, you get flogged. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, I mean, it really might cut down on some of this. Huh? <laughs> Public flogging. Is it Corey Rosen? Corey Rosen yep, is Corey coming Rosen. on next. We're yeah. talking to him about ownership, reinventing companies, capitalism, and who owns what. Next on Cross Politics. Maybe we can. I'm not done with this conversation. Cut down on the on the on the thuggery. That would be nice. I want to know what do you do when you don't have a when a government's not upholding the First Amendment, r- right? And and well, first you well, gotta you vote sue, them out. You sue them like, like we did, like we're, we're doing. And you know? yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you, you vote them out. Is yeah. what you just next well, day. Or, All or, right. or you can't vote. You can't vote out bureaucracy. More cross politics coming up next. We're going to talk about this. Remove them, huh? How are you going to remove them? You want to tell me about that part? Home. It's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. I wonder if social media isn't it, what would it be an employee-owned business if hey, it would actually... Hey, just wait. Hold be your, different. It'd be hold different. Your, you know, hold would, your would they be inclusion with the White House? Hold your questions. We we have a specialist <laughs> with us. Yes. Welcome back to Cross Politic. Today's culture shifts like sand, but yeah. New St. Andrews College is established on Christ, the immovable rock. That's right. It's a premier institution that forges evangelical leaders who don't fear or hate the world. Guided by God's word, they take the world back because mm-hmm. they're equipped with the genius of classical liberal arts and God-honoring wisdom, thanks to a faculty dedicated to academic rigor and to God's kingdom. Find out more today at nsa.edu. We're very grateful to have with us this evening Mr. Corey Rosen. He's the senior staff member and founder of the National Center for Employee Ownership, a private nonprofit membership information and research organization Mm. out of Oakland, California. Corey, thanks for joining us on CrossPolitik. Oh, thank you. I'm really honored to be here. 
So, Corey, what does employee-owned companies, what does that even look like? And why should more companies be structured this way? And, I mean, what's wrong with what we've got right now? Right. <laughs> so, capitalism is a great system in a lot of ways. Capitalism has produced a tremendous amount of wealth. But capitalism, at least in its modern incarnation, has tended to really concentrate that, that, that wealth in fewer and fewer hands. Just 1% of the population in the US owns 32% of the privately held productive capital. So why is that a problem? Well, it's not the inequality per se that's the problem. It's the wealth insecurity that's a problem. Now, 50% of the population says it can't put its hands on $1,000 in an emergency. 50% of the workforce who works for a private sector employer has zero dollars in their retirement account. So since the 1970s, we've seen real wages stagnate while real costs, health insurance, education, all these other things everybody knows about and struggles with have gone up a lot. Mm -hmm. But the people who've owned capital since the 1970s, remember how many digits did the Dow have in 1973? It had three. <laughs> Today it has five. So the growth in capital ownership in real dollars has been more than 8% per year. So if you owned capital, you did quite well. If you work for people who own capital, you probably, many people anyway, are struggling. So what employee ownership says is a very simple idea. Let's find a way for ordinary people, ordinary working Americans, to become owners of their companies. Yeah. And so um, I think I've, I, 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 I can think of a number of employee-owned uh, companies, but my, I've, I have a, a positive view of this and I have a negative view of this. The, I see the employee ownership model being very uh, kind of a, a neat way to attach employees' work to profits. I, I like that idea. I think there's a capitalistic right. aspect to it. But then there's also kind of this socialistic aspect to it where it's like um, it's not fair that employees don't have ownership. There's this kind of this moral um, socialistic angle that I don't like that I want to reject yeah, yeah. Um, and, and all this. And so what, what would like an employee own company structure look like? Sure. So this is not an issue of, well, it's fair. It's not fair. This is an issue of what works, what's pragmatic. And in the typical employee ownership structure, the most common plan by far is something called an employee stock ownership plan. And the way that that works is really pretty straightforward. The company sets up a trust, and it's the same kind of trust that your 401k plan, for instance, would be in. But this trust is meant to acquire stock in the employer. So let's take the most typical arrangement. You've got an owner of a closely held company, and that owner's thinking about moving on, transitioning out, you know, they're getting older. And they could sell to a private equity firm, and we all know what happens then. Oftentimes, that's a reduction in employment or the company moves, and the company's sold again in a few years. They could sell to another company. 
but the other company might have those same kinds of intentions. They have family members, maybe they can transfer them to those family members, but that's increasingly common. Mm-hmm. So instead, let's say that they say, well, you know, I'd really like my employees, the people who helped me build this business, I'd like them to become owners. But, you know, they don't have the money to actually purchase the shares, but we're going to make profit in the next years. And those employees are the ones who are going to help us make that profit. So here's what we'll do. We'll borrow money. We'll put that money in the trust to buy my shares at a fair market value. Mm -hmm. And then that'll be paid for over time by the profits that these new employee owners create. Mm -hmm. And this, by the way, is exactly the same way that private equity buys companies. They borrow money, buy the company, and pay it back out of the future profits. That's right. But in the employee ownership model, the employees are the ones who benefit in the private equity model. It's that small number of investors Mm -hmm. who benefit. So- now it seems what's to me interesting that, about this is that the oh yeah please go ahead oh no it, was, it seems to me that um, with this model I, I I'm not against it but it also how are the employees um, they aren't taking out any risk really in this you, you got a, a loan that's that's taking out the risk the company's uh, on risk for the loan you know it's like that, where's the risk for the employees to participate in this well of course the company could go bankrupt so you know they don't pay the loan. It's a non-recourse loan. The employees don't have to, to uh, you know, take out their Celsius to do this. And if it were, nobody would do this. But I think it's worth looking at a couple of things with this. First is, who supports this? Well, this is a, an idea that's been supported by everybody from Ron Johnson, the U.S. Senator from Wisconsin, very conservative, to Bernie Sanders from the Republican Party platform to the Center for American Progress, from Ted Kennedy to Ronald Reagan. It's, in fact, the only policy that all three Jesses agreed on, Helms, Jackson, and Brock. <laughs> so it, it, from, from the Republican conservative standpoint, this is what could be better, more capitalists. That's, that's making capitalism even more capitalistic by making more capitalists. Does Bernie know and that? From the liberal standpoint, <laughs> <laughs> from the liberal standpoint, it, it seems more equitable. Okay. So, so I, I get you there. Are the employees? Un- yeah. Uh, I, I get you. Uh, well, what I'm saying is, yep. are the employees somehow getting too good a deal from as well? It only works if those impact these loans. Unfortunately, we have lots of data. The default rate on ESOP loans, so how many of those loans don't get repaid, is two per thousand per year. So essentially zero. Mm -hmm. So nobody loses here. The owners get a fair price. They get to preserve the legacy of the company they've built. The community wins because you've got more people with more wealth to invest in the community. And it turns out that the employees have retirement accounts about three times what the retirement accounts of people in comparable companies wow. 
that have retirement plans are. Wow. So run a scenario with me on this. Go what ahead, if, Gabe. Just take the whole show. What if, <laughs> just, just, hey, Pastor, I'll chill over right, here with yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. We're going to hang out over here. Go ahead. Go ahead. You want to, you, you got a question? No, you got it. Because, you know, I'm looking into this. Um, what if Facebook was an employee-owned company? How would it function differently in the market? We just got our, our new segment. We just covered um, the recent um, uh, White House collusion with social media on misinformation, yeah. uh, which I'm pr- sure you're familiar with, and the White House basically violating First Amendment rights and, and trying to s- working with Instagram to censor people and so forth. Uh, w- would this kind of thing play out differently if it's employee-owned? It's hard to say not how I would play out in those sorts of political terms. And there's plans other than ESOPs is that they're really focused on the employees getting a financial benefit. The employees don't have a governance role typically in these companies. They may have, and ESOP companies typically do, a lot of opportunities to contribute ideas and information, but they're not setting policy for the company. So at Facebook, they actually give everybody restricted stock or stock options. And Facebook, a lot of millionaires when it went public amongst its ordinary employees, but it doesn't change their governance. I do think when you look at public companies, though, that if you're the CEO of a public company, what are you worried about? You're worried about next quarter's earnings because if they're not good, your investors, quote unquote, investors who aren't really investors, they're more like people betting on a horse at the racetrack. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not there to invest their money long term. Your stock buyers are going to sell their stock. So there's not much incentive for CEOs of public companies to focus on whatever their values are for the long term, because they're not going to be around for the long term. But in employee-owned companies, they think of themselves as companies here for the long term and can think about what does that mean in terms of the kinds of policies that we should be instituting to make this a sustainable company. You know, companies like Publix, one of the, the largest employee-owned company in the country, uh, Publix has been employee-owned since the 1930s. And you Year after year after year, it's rated as not just one of as the best supermarket, but one of the best companies, period, you know, as a, an avid follower base. Mm, yeah. And it's because these companies can think about the long term. Why, why aren't more companies uh, organized this way, Corey? There's a lot of big barriers. The most important is, and I hope this show helps on this, the most important is that the particularly the, the real, the most likely target audience, which is owners of closely held businesses thinking about what do I want to do with my business? They don't know about ESOPs mostly. They don't know how they work or they've heard something and what they've heard is misleading or wrong or worse, they go to an advisor. And frankly, most advisors would rather they sell to someone else because they can make more money if they sell them to another company because they they get a percentage of the transaction fee that way. And they don't get that if the company uses an ESOP. So that's the big barrier. It would also help if there were more financial support for this, the way there is, for instance, states, 
spend hundreds, uh, over $100 billion a year in incentives for a company to move from one state to another, which creates no new jobs and just costs taxpayer money. Uh, if some of that money could instead be used to keep these companies in their community as employee-owned for vastly less, millions, not billions, we could create a lot more employee-owned companies. Mm. Mm. Ownership, reinventing companies, cap, reinventing companies, capitalism, and who owns what, Corey Rosen. You going to hang around for the backstage? Because I actually have a couple more questions for you since I didn't get a chance to ask. Many at all. Thanks. <laughs> and by the way, the the, uh, the book actually, it's reinventing capitalism and who owns what. And I may have, I may have misstated the title when we communicated. Oh yeah, really, <laughs> that's all right. About to, that's my problem. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and it's about to be uh, available on Amazon and and every place else. Reinventing. You stay right companies, there. Companies, capitalism, and who owns what. We'll talk in a second. We if will you do. Very good. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. If you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations, the world's largest classical Christian homeschooling community. I'm launching a new podcast, Refining Rhetoric. If you like cross-politics or just listen to hear what crazy stuff they're saying today, you will enjoy refining rhetoric. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I practice the 15 tools of learning by interviewing great guests, looking at current events, and talking about cryptocurrency. The season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. All right, so just stay like this. How, how am I doing here? So, yeah, you don't like you don't like this, huh? What does a Christian education look like when non-Christians are the ones who control the institutions of learning? This is a question that confronted Bishop Augustine of Hippo in North Africa in the 5th century AD. Augustine lived at the twilight of the Roman Empire. He himself had been trained with the best learning that Rome at that time had to offer. He himself actually came through the ranks and taught rhetoric in some of the best schools. And it was then, after he had come of age, that he converted to Christianity, but he wanted to continue the project of education, but this time for Christians. And so he had to confront the question, what does a Christian education look like when the unbelievers control the field? when they control the institutions, when the whole ap apparatus and curriculum of learning emerge from a pagan environment. And so Augustine wondered, what is it that Christians should jettison? What is it that Christians can embrace? What is it that Christians can adopt, but in modified form? These are the questions that Augustine confronted when he sought to educate Christians in an environment when unbelievers dominated the field. A century later, we see a man in the south of Italy named Cassiodorus who faced a very different educational landscape. He had to ask what did a Christian education look like in an environment where unbelievers had abandoned the project of education altogether. The in infrastructure of learning had entirely eroded. If education was to proceed at all, it had to proceed on the foundation of Christianity. The Christians 
had to be the ones preserving education. What does a Christian education look like when Christians are the ones forming the institutions, when Christians are the ones organizing the curriculum? Well, these two seasons in the history of education, the season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus, just 100 years apart, were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. We're gonna be studying this story. We're going to be going back to the sources. We're going to go back to Augustine. We're gonna go back to Cassiodorus. We're gonna ask ourselves, which of their predicaments most resembles our own? Which can we learn from Augustine's period? What can we learn from Cassiodorus's period? As we confront these questions, we're gonna engage these sources, and we invite you to join us here at New St. Andrews College. Thank you.